Welcome to another episode of Only the Brave Have Fun. Today's guest is Anita Brightly Hodges, specialist advisor to family-owned businesses. Anita is the founder and chairman of Family Business Place, a nationwide network dedicated to promoting and supporting British and Irish family-owned businesses. For over 20 years, Anita has guided independent businesses through some of their most exciting and challenging times. Her expertise lies in helping businesses plan for succession to the next generation as well as resolving family disputes and getting family members talking again. She has been interviewed on BBC Radio 4's Today programme, BBC Radio London and BBC Kent as well as being featured in The Guardian, The Telegraph and many other national and local titles. Let's welcome Anita. So, so people that don't know Anita, tell us who you are, what you do. Okay, so my name is Anita Brightly Hodges. I am the chairman and founder of Family Business Place. So after 10 years, I can with confidence say that we are the leading organization that promotes and supports family businesses from all over the UK and Ireland. So when I first started this business, there was no such organization that was independent. So the likes of the large accounting practices and law firms, yes, they, you know, they, they, they work with family businesses, but more often than not, they would call them private clients because they were of a certain wealth. And the government would lump family business in with the SME market, which, you know, on one hand, yes, it's right, the majority are small and medium-sized enterprises, but there are very, very distinct nuances that are the lifeblood of a family business. And even 10 years later, even now, it's still a mystery to a lot of people. So what I say is, you've got to be one to understand one. And we are a family business. So two of my daughters, Amalia is my MD now after 10 years. And Olympia is our head of design. She's my youngest daughter. My son-in-law works with us on photography and that helps up in many, many ways. And then we have a really lovely gaggle of... Um, girls that, uh, um, that are part of our, our, our business. And, and I guess we're living, breathing it. So I can talk to family businesses with at least, you know, empathy. And I think that in family business, it, it's about building trust, having empathy. And, um, and one of the, the two words I use when I talk to family businesses is it's all about trust and joy. That sounds really simple, but everyone wants you know that you've got your family behind you. You trust them. They've got your back. So you don't have to worry about that. But the hardest thing is to continue the joy of the entrepreneur into the next generations. Because as soon as you throw money into the mix and ownership, that's when that joy can be a little bit shaky sometimes. And also other little things like, you know, stepping back out of your business. You know, that's something your baby you, that, you've, that you've, um, uh, you've grown from nothing or you might be a steward and a few generations down the line. So every single generation is experienced their family business from, uh, with a different lens. So that's what we're about. And we promote them by gathering them as a community. So we have three major events in the UK, one in the north, one in the south. And we have a big award ceremony at, in Wembley. And about 400 family businesses from all over, all over England, Scotland, Ireland, Wales come. It's just truly amazing and sometimes they bring their children with them and sometimes some tables are full of different generations so we chose Wembley because it's a place of, of, of champions and that's why we chose Wembley. Um, the second part of our business is we have a membership now 
Um, it's only been going about six months. But we've already, already got over 100 that have signed up. And by talking to family firms, they've all said, we want to belong to something. I think belonging is really important. And yes, you can belong to the, you know, the society of truck drivers or, you can, or the association of construction engineers. But family business, it travels across all sectors, all sizes. But the issues we have are the same. The things that keep us awake at night are the same, whether you are a husband and wife, couplepreneur startup, or you are multi-generation, 20 generations on landed estate. The problems are the same. How to keep, make money, how to keep my family happy, how to be happy, how to look after my legacy, who makes decisions, how does that development happen in the business, what's the rationale, how does everyone else do it? Because again, it's quite insular. So you only know by talking to other family businesses who then give you nuggets of, you know, ah, we did this when we had, had to look at succession or I wish we had because it all ended in tears or whatever the issue might be. And also our membership means that, you know, with a family business, you can shake and handshake, make a deal on a handshake and look in the whites of someone's eyes and you've made a deal. Yeah. Just to look corporates. So by having our membership, we want that to be a trading platform so that you, as a family member, can then say, oh, I'm a family member too, and I see you do so-and-so. I, I see you're a hotel. We make fine cheeses. Or, you know, I see you're in construction. Well, um, we provide forklift trucks. I don't know, whatever it might be. Um, so that's our dream, really. And, and also this year, I'm going to try and attempt for us at least to have a little voice in government. It's very hard. But all the time that family businesses are not known as their own special sector, they will never be able to have a voice in government to truly reflect what their needs are as a family business. You know, and there's so many things I want to say, but um, finding the people that are on our wavelength or finding people that will listen, having a, a, a straightforward conversation, it's always very, very hard in politics. And I just feel that something I can do now because Amalia is the MD is spend my time evangelizing um, and trying to get us more known in that sort of space, really. And I can't tell you how wonderful and magnificent and fun and outrageously creative and successful family firms are. Some household names that you wouldn't even dream of as being a family-run business like JCB or Britain's Bread or Russell and Bromley Shoes or uh, Boohoo.com. You know, they're everywhere. We are everywhere. And there are over 4.8 million of us in this country alone. So it is the biggest business model in the world and and of course it was the only structure hundreds of years ago because everyone you know was a family business you joined your father's carpenter shop you made bread as a baker whatever they work in those days you know and of course now it's much more sophisticated so in a nutshell I'd like to think that anyone that's a family business that has an inkling of wanting to meet another for a, to find a mentor a non-exec director to help them with the business if they want to professionalize it understand what it means to hand the business over to the next generation or look at their options for exit. It might be a sale. It might be succession. It might be an MBO, an MBE. It might be employee ownership. It might be, you know, teaming up with a private equity firm. There are so many good options to explore and lots of family businesses just don't know what their options are. So um, that's really what we're about. I mean, and also the fact that family businesses are colourful, you know, all of the ethnic minorities are involved. If you think about the Asian family business community, it is prolific and huge and so 
wonderful, but they're mostly second generation. The Chinese, again, mostly second generation. Um, then you've got Russian and Polish, Egyptian, all of those. But when, they, when their parents came to this country, they came as refugees or they came as immigrants and determined to make a life for their families. They have built the most extraordinary businesses, really, that now employ hundreds, if not thousands of people that really have a heritage they can fall back on. They know why they're there. They know their purpose. And most of them have suffered through adversity, hardship, sacrifice, and are in the service of others now. So it's not romantic, but it's something that's at the heart of a family business that is not at the heart of a corporate. And it's also not at the heart of a business that's not family run, because a non-family business will probably look for um, an exit in a lifetime. Family business won't always look for that in a lifetime. They may say, actually, I'd like this to go on for generations because I'm proud of it. I'm proud of our legacy and heritage. So it's with passion that I do this. Excitement because it's so new. Had the time of my life. I've been to so many places, met the most wonderful people. And also what's really interesting are the women that are now leading family businesses. And I was talking to a colleague today to say, is it too far a stretch to think that women in family business can actually start a new movement as to what does business look like? What does the business of the future look like if women who have, you know, historically are, are, are the ones that have always been on the back foot because of having ch- children and finding childcare and so on. But is there a new movement now with the millennials particularly where they're actually bright, well-educated, active, gorgeous, smart, talented? Is there a new way of doing business which draws on all those lovely things around flexibility, empathy, kindness, love, service, as well as success, being great at what you do, having a product that's going to travel around the globe. Do you see what I mean? I just feel this is the age of the woman rather than trying to scale the heady heights of corporate and reaching a glass ceiling, whether actually it's something, you know, mothers and daughters, sisters, mothers and sons, husbands and wives. So the female element is actually Success is different now. Success is not all about money. Success is all about living a great life, which involves making money, having a wonderful business, seeing your loved ones, seeing them uh, and and being able to employ people and and seeing how they become part of your family. It's a different ethos. We don't have the big bucks that the large corporates have, but we have so much more that people would really like. So does that give you a little bit of an overview? Uh, yes, very interesting. I'm I'm really excited to be honest. I this this is more personal. I have a lot of questions for you because a lot of this um, questions and and what you do kind of. I wish I had met you or my father had met you 25 years ago. I think <laughs> things would have been different. But before I get to that, I wanna I wanna get to know a bit more yourself, your your background. I, I, so let's go at the beginning. Where did your journey start? What we what did you want to do, and how did you get into this? Okay, so. Um, I'm an army brat. My father um, was uh, stationed in Hong Kong and met my mother. So I'm half Chinese. Right. However, my daughter, one of my daughters is blonde with green eyes. So there you go. That's third generation, isn't it? And my grandson is blonde. So you wouldn't even know he was Chinese. So it's quite interesting. But my mother was a refugee. And when the communist regime took over China, she, together with seven siblings, of which she was the eldest at 11, escaped from China to Hong Kong to live with an aunt. 
very sadly, and she never, as most mothers, they don't really talk about what it was like for them when they were younger, but I did find out that her father was executed in the mass grave during the Cultural Revolution. So, you know, so for little ones to get on a boat like you see now from Syria, you know, I really empathise with that because I know that's what happened to my mum and her siblings. And um, met my father, and, uh, and that was you know, to marry a soldier from England was a ticket out to a better life, the promise of a better life. And I think you'll find that in the forces, there are always mixed marriages and things. So, um, yeah, so I, I grew up, went to army boarding school when I was 10. Coming from a seriously working class family where my father went to work when he was 14 and my mother, obviously, when she was very, very young. Um, I was the first in my generation to go on to further education. And I went to art school. And of course, everyone's sort of taking the mix saying, oh, that's not, what is that? not being a lawyer and not being a doctor or anything like that. But I, I think I did what I'd always set my heart on being. And what I say to people is follow your dreams. Do what it is that you're talented at. Do what gives you joy. The rest will follow. It may not be easy, but you'll get there. So after, you know, art school, a degree, and then a postgrad, I became a teacher and realized that teaching wasn't really for me. I wanted, I had so much energy inside me thinking I could take on the world, you know, so I worked for free for um, a marketing agency. And I'd say, oh, let me have a job. I can work for free for you just to get my foot in the door. And then I realized when I was working, thinking, oh, I could do this. So I was very lucky. And I started my career in publishing and worked for some, some seriously fantastic magazines. One was at Bil- the Builder Group. The other was at Nat Mags. You couldn't have chosen better journals, really, to work with. And I, and I did that. And then after... 15 months and one daughter later, because in those days, you never got maternity leave. You know, so I was told by my boss, oh, you can keep your hand in by doing some magazine layouts in your free time. That was, the, that was, you know, that was maternity leave. And um, so I just thought, well, sod that for a game of soldiers. So as soon as I got back off maternity leave, I decided I'm going to look for another job. And um, I think I had something to prove myself. My husband said, I will look after the family if you want to go and see if you can make it in London, which we did. So again, another role reversal. My husband looked after our children and I went to London. And eight months after I joined um, the second publishing company, I just decided I, I want to do this. I, you know, most entrepreneurs do, don't they? they go, right, okay, yeah, I want to do this. And so the next thing I knew, I had a desk space in an attic with a phone, a portfolio, two phone numbers. <laughs> And I phoned them up and I said, I can do this, this and this. Uh, I can do this for you. Um, Can I see you? And a a great mate of mine said, it will snowball. And of course, at that time, I couldn't imagine that, you know, just with a phone in my portfolio and my energy. But I had the confidence of youth, I guess. And it grew from there. And I grew a business. In the end, it was a global boutique branding agency. And um, truly blessed. Worked all over the world with clients. At this point, you, you are on your own. You're doing yeah. your own thing. Yeah. And the trigger to change was when you came back from your maternity leave, saying, not doing that anymore. No, because I, I think when you come from, I'm, I'm one of two sisters. My other sister is hugely successful as a managing director of a big corporate. My mother, again, a woman, had to struggle. And I think you sort of, some things are nature and some things are nurture, aren't they? Yeah. And I think in us, that was instilled with us. And uh, so I just decided... I could do this. I could do this. I was an angry young designer. I thought I can take on the world. So I just thought, what, you know, what's the worst that can happen? I can get a job in Tesco tomorrow. 
you know, so I just decided to give it a go. What was what was the workplace like back then? Um, I mean, was were women as supported? Was it was it as um, was the environment as supportive and as encouraged? Or certainly back in the late eighties, and um, certainly in the early nineties, when I set up my agency, I didn't know more than half a dozen women that ran branding agencies with more than three people. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if they were in design, and there are lots of women in design, but they weren't the number one, they weren't the owners, they weren't the MDs, they were very often second in command. You hear this a lot in TV and production. The PA lands up running the whole production team because of her networking and because of her skills in organizing. And, you know, so there are those sorts of skills. And um, I remember going to my first meetings and I take my project manager with me and the client would always look at him and sit in a room and say, I, I'm the MD, I'm the creative director of Stillwater and Deep. And then they look straight at my project manager and say, so, <laughs> you know, and that's what it was like. That's what it was like in design. And it's a creative agency, creative, you know, dominion. And that's what it was like in all businesses. And if you're in construction, God help you. If you're in a electrician, if you're an electrician, God help you. If you're a plumber, God help you. But now there are construction businesses run by women, mainly family business. There are plumbers run by women. You know, there are all those dirty, what I call dirty manual jobs that now have women running them. I know a, a fantastic waste disposal business. And she is an all, one almighty girl, you know, and prolific. But it's such a shame that we're always in the minority. But I think it's our generation, the millennials, that have to pave the way. It's the next, sorry, my baby boomers, the millennials then, really, they need to build on that. And, and, and go the whole hog. Do I think it's going to be 50-50? Probably not. Probably not. Have you read the book, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus? I have, yes. They're very interesting. It's true. They're different. They do different things differently. Women are great at multitasking. I don't think a man can pee and tap his head at the same time. <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and it's true, but they're very focused. If they're going to have a meeting or play a game of golf on Wednesday, it happens. With a woman, oh, something might come in and they think, oh, well, actually, I can do that another day. I, oh, I'll, I'll sort that out first. I'll, you know, they're always looking after, they're much more holistic in the way that they are running their businesses and looking after their people. And I think these are the new leadership skills for today's leaders. I've heard corporates say, we want to try and be more like family businesses. They're never going to be like family businesses. Because at the heart of a family business is trust, Joy, flexibility, empathy, hard work, passion, loyalty. And that doesn't have a price tag, does it? No. no. Do you remember earlier in the interview, I said this is, this is very interesting for me and I was looking forward to this. My, our family history, as far as six generations that we remember, yes. have, been, have been almost up and down and up and down. What I mean by that is I've been all entrepreneurs. Like you said, back in, back in those days, if you were a baker, your son will be a baker or will be along those lines, right? Or your father will give you a bit of money. You don't go for a job. You start something of your own. And that's how it worked. And the amount of times that in our family, you know, in, the, in, in the history of our family, we have started a business, been very successful, and then it all came crashing. And then we started again. Sometimes due to uh, an economy, due to, you know, environment, whatever that might be. And in the last two generations, it has been because of family. Now, we were too young and obviously my father and his, his cousins and, you know, were somewhat, you know, he was the uncle, but then they were 
oh, a lot older than he was. And so they were one of the main people in the business, even though the business was his and my grandfather's. And how you, know, you think that you're going to work together and, and it's a family business and, and how some people don't go in with that mindset. You, know, you think the next generation will be... What I'm trying to get at is how do you, in your view and what you've come across, how, how do you know that this next generation is ready to take over and you should be giving it to them rather than giving it to someone from outside? Okay, so the reason most family businesses don't, don't make the jump from the first generation to the second and then the second to the third and then third to the fourth and they're ever diminishing success rates, as I explained to you before, didn't I? Yeah. Uh, mostly two things one is communication very hard to talk about your nearest talk with your nearest and dearest about things that you feel might upset them that could be contentious it's something between the it's called generation gap really you know i mean there's a generation now that i don't even understand their language you know i remember when texts came into being parents could not understand their kids text messages because it was different language i think that um so communication is the first thing, for fear of upsetting your parents. And of course, when you are frightened, it's either fight or flight, isn't it? Yeah. You either fight or you bury your head in the sand and you, you know, fly away. And I think like most things, when there are difficult decisions to be made, people don't make them and they bury their heads in the sand. But as sure as eggs is eggs, that family will exit. The person that runs it will die, for sure. But they could be in a situation where they might be able to plan the future. But it calls for an open, honest, frank, non-judgmental, safe environment. Now, you can do that with a trusted family member that can keep their distance. Or nowadays, there aren't many of us, but there are a few of us that specialize in acting as independent advisors to come and look at the whole holistic nature of the family and understand what each individual's aspirations are for themselves for their parents <laughs> and for the next generation so i think now in you know family business are um, are everywhere now and i think that's largely due to the amount of work and effort that our business has placed on raising the profile i mean we've worked so hard to do that now and family business is now part of the, the business place conversation so communication is one thing um how do you have this conversation how do you begin them how do you start it you know Dad, for goodness sakes, I can't run this business if you keep coming in every day and muck, mucking things up. Or, no, mum, things have changed now. It's called the internet. <laughs> or, I know, I've, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I want to work in a business where I've got friends all over the world collaborating. We can do that via Zoom, you know, or a platform. These are quite alien concepts for each generation. There will be more alien ones for the millennials, for Generation X and Y and Z. Especially with the mindset of, you know, why, why, why fix it if it's, uh, if it's not broken, don't fix it, right? So if, if father's been running a business very successfully for a long time, the kids come in, they have new, fresh ideas, times have changed, but that hesitation from the parents to kids, that's why I think it becomes a, a, a blocking point, doesn't it? It does because the, the entrepreneur or the parents, if you're talking about first generation, their um, excitement and their aspirations were theirs but it isn't the next generations. So it's understanding what the aspirations are of the next generation and then think, well, how can I support that? And sometimes that can be continuing the family business in another guise or adding another revenue channel or an expertise or changing the family um, 
uh, wealth into an asset management company. So you can then, you know, you can sponsor your children to start up their, um, their new enterprises. So I think there's a realisation on both, on both generations. One is to be appreciated for the things you've done because you wouldn't be in this situation if it wasn't for your parents. And the other is to understand the next generation. You know, you want the best for your kids. You want them to have fun, you know. And um, we can have that, but it takes conversation and it takes careful planning. Because at the end of the day, I don't care what you say, if you're going to lead, just lead. And the other is that the true mark of a leader in this day and age, really, is being vulnerable, being courageous, having empathy. And there's a saying, isn't there? If I want to go fast, I go alone. If I want to go further, we go together. And I think that all great businesses are where those businesses have gone together, haven't they? Different skills, different ages, different backgrounds, different languages. And I think that if you're going to be a leader, I think certainly vulnerability. But to have an environment where it's safe to be vulnerable, because then you're connecting with your workforce, aren't you? You know, I have days when I can't get out of bed. Oh, yeah, so do I. You know, I came from nothing. I didn't have, a, have, didn't have an O level to my name. You know, oh, no, do I. I? You know, and I felt I was a failure. But actually, I can see you're not. You know, so this, it's, empathy is really important. But you can only strike up an empathetic relationship if you show your vulnerable side. And that's quite hard for men particularly. I don't know if you've noticed when you've been in conversation with your mum or your girlfriend or whatever. By the time they've finished having a conversation with someone else they've met, they know their gynae, their history, their ages, their children, what they think of the new daughter-in-law. And if you say um, to a man, so, when I, like, I don't know, we talk business, or we talked about golf, or do you see what I mean? So it was all, they're just different. And what's so wonderful now is when both sexes are involved, you have the benefit of fantastic you know, businesses that are going to be great because they understand the value of each other. But it's a movement. It's going to take time. It needs people to always be banging that drum. Um, but I think it's a total respect for each generation. And I think for the, the hardest generation is probably G3. And that's why I, I, I always try and say to people, write your legacy while you're alive, because that third generation are too young to appreciate from where you came. And that legacy, that purpose is yours and your family's alone. And that gives you a sense of pride. So again, leadership is about understanding your purpose, your legacy, empathy, hard work, vulnerability. And, and I think that they're different skills or different emotional intelligence in terms of, you know, what, what is it that's, that someone said? A leader just needs one thing. Because it was Easter recently, and, I was, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm a strong Christian. A leader only needs one thing. What's that? followers they don't buy those followers they follow you because they believe in what you they believe in your vision and they think yeah that's i'm cool with that that means something to me so you know that's all a leader needs they need followers and followers give become followers with free will don't they because they can see something in you like you're doing this business with your podcasts and things then i said to you when we first met yeah i'll sign up because i'm really keen for you to be successful you know and um and you're doing podcasts which means that you're spreading you're telling stories and people remember stories and family businesses are all about stories I mean, I mean i've never um i remember this was um i think a couple of months i spoke before i spoke to you and i was reading about bread and wheat and all of that and then 
Is it? Uh, what's the name of the bread that starts from W? Um, absolutely, that's it. That's a family-owned, I believe, a business as yes. well, isn't it? Yes. And, and and that was one of the only ones that I was reading about. I mean, we always hear about you know Bill Gates and you know Steve Jobs, and we don't know what was after them, or you know, oh, who are the kids and who was taken over? We don't know. I don't think they're interested either. There isn't a story around that, but with with that bread, I was reading about this story, and it was so interesting. And I don't know why. With corporations, even successful ones, you don't want to. Their story does not appeal as much to a family-owned business. That's what gives it such a value. And it's all about heart, passion, heart, and uh, you know, and it's honest, and it's absolutely the message, the promise that you read on their brand with their bread. That's what I was reading actually. I was looking at shares actually. That's how I started. I was looking at shares, and I read their story, and I was like, okay, the promise that they wrote down on the on the on the bread, and I was like, that's very interesting. That has a bit more meaning to it than someone like, I don't know, Microsoft or someone like that. It doesn't have any meaning at all. It was probably started off as a mission and then now it's not a mission anymore. It's all about more and more and more money. Whereas this bread, you know, there's hundreds of bread companies, but this one here is just such an interesting story. And it seems like that's still carrying on. That hasn't changed. I call them hidden gems. Because having worked in corporate life, I never knew corporate businesses. And I'm thankful for it because I know I earned a good living and I did some most amazing work and I went to amazing places and met amazing people. But since working with family businesses, their stories are real gems. You know, you, you hear from how they started and then, you know, there might be a landmark. Take, for example, the Boodles family. They're jewelers, six generations. Okay. So, um, they, they started off, I think, just selling jewellery. And now they, they make million-dollar pieces that they sell all over the world. They're known for their exquisite craftsmanship. They have a passion every day. Um, if you had something made by Boodles, it was special. And I think that's what family businesses have. So if you, if you, if you buy a hat from Philip Wright, his business... His, his great-grandmother started it, and she had a workforce of 2,000 people, and they are a 200-year-old family business that make hats. Now, you can get hats made in China for, you know, a, a tiny amount of money. But if you want a truly handmade, hand-sized, beautiful craftsmanship that has his brand written all over it, then you would go to Philip Wright. You know, so it's... And, and, and it's very, very interesting as well with Asian family businesses. As I'm talking to you and I'm a Chinese, we may as well talk about that. And of course, most Asian businesses came here in the 70s when having a brown skin was the butt of ridicule. It was very hard. And don't forget, a lot of them came over and they were trained solicitors, lawyers, doctors, you name it, they did. But because of what was going on with partition and because of what was going on with them, Idi Amin and, and the rest of it, they found themselves having to go further afield just to have a new life. And of course, many came to England in the 70s and they just took whatever jobs were around. They were mostly unskilled, but they, I guess they are the fact, they are, I guess they're mostly the Thatcher, the Thatcher generation, aren't they? Where Margaret Thatcher said, if you work hard, you can do anything. And she was the daughter of a grocer. So that was very appealing. And, um, and now a lot of them are, you know, they're, they're second generation going into third. And, and I think they are in a position to build dynasties here because they all have great stories that if you, if you heard their stories, it would make you weep. And then you look at them, you think, good for you. 
Isn't that amazing? But the grandchildren would be going to private schools, have always thought they lived in a magnificent mansion, always thought they had a chauffeur. They will have little idea of what it was really like. And that's why the living legacy documentary work I do is so important, telling that story so that the, the third generation understand it and can appreciate it. And, and it has meaning and, and everyone wants to have a purpose in life, you know, and that's quite hard to find, if, but, you, but it's easy to find in a family business. Very interesting. You mentioned earlier on, and then we, uh, we, didn't, we didn't complete it. You mentioned that you, then you started your, your business. And I want to know, how did you get into this then? So you, you started this business, boutique business, you're phoning up people, then what happened next? So we always say, um, so God has a plan and uh, we're all here for a reason. So I'm a woman in business. I'm half Chinese. I'm a Christian. And, um, you know, so they're, they're, not really, they're not really good combinations if you want to be a serious business person. You know? <laughs> so um, I built this wonderful boutique agency over 25 years. And then in 2008, I lost everything. I had a competent accountant. I won't go into it. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. And in fact, when I talk to some family business, I often ask in the room, is there anyone here that's lost a business? Because I have. And again, that's another thing that you can share. So I know what it feels like to lose your business when you've built it up for nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I thought, do I want to do this again? Because, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, there's no way. And if you're Chinese, you either make it or you cook it. You know, that's it, really. You <laughs> make or you cook it. True. Yeah. In China, that's, that's what you do in Hong Kong. You make it or you cook it. And, um, but, and I thought, do I, do I want to be working at an international level at the pace I was working at? Um, where I was on an airplane, I was in a different country. I'd be working with the marketing manager and I'd say, how high, how much, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I think I was exhausted. And I look back now and I think I had such a great life, such a great career, such wonderful, wonderful things happened to me. And fortuitously, I worked for a big pharmaceutical company, and they happened to be family-run. And when they sold their business, right. they asked if I would help them brand their first family office because they had this wealth all of a sudden. I'm in London, which I did, and I rebranded them. And at the launch, and helped them with the interiors and their brand, etc. I met the mother, the father, the grandmother, the sister, the uncle. And I'd never met owners of businesses before because it's usually the board. And, of course, the shareholders have nothing to do with the business. And, of course, in a family business, they are all shareholders. So you know your shareholders. They are your relatives. And I was then invited to a conference in Bristol, a family business conference. I thought, family business? What's that all about? Bakers and sausage makers? I don't know. And where's Bristol? You know, because I was used to going to you know, Hong Kong or Australia or New York. Where's Bristol, for goodness sakes? Anyway, I went and I was absolutely blown away by the stories that came up, the people that came up on stage and talked about their family business, the heartache, the highs, the lows. And actually, I thought, I'm a family business now with my daughter because although I placed all my staff with great businesses, Amalia, I said to Amalia, you know, I could place you 40 times over tomorrow. And she said, where you go, I go which was really lovely. And then I thought, well, who's looking after this wonderful sector? Because they are more than an SME. And they're actually, having done some research, realized there was nobody that they could associate them themselves because everything in a family business is personal. Every decision you make as a family business is personal. For love, uh, for the family, for the local community, for posterity, for legacy, 
all of those key things. That's what a family business is. Um, and um, so I met two wonderful people. We started to think about how we could help that community. And I think the first conference, we, I said, I'd, I'd love to do this, but I want to bring it to the nation. I want to bring it to London. And our first conference, we had over 100 people attend. They came, you know, and we had wonderful speakers who came and they spoke very generously and very warmly. And that was the beginning of our, our, our venture. So meeting that family business and the, and the relatives was the first time I'd met a very successful family business. Then I understood the notion of family office. What does that mean? And why is that so important? And then listening to all the stories, they, were, they all had common denominators. They all were proud. Um, then, and, you know, what's, what's, what I'm struggling with now is with this build them high and sell them cheap or build a business and flog it. Because how many times do you hear private equity saying, I'm looking for a business that I can, we can go into, sort them out and then flog them. You know, that's not really the essence of a family business. But that third generation, if they hear enough of that, they think that's success. They think to build that family business and sell it on is my success. And it's not always the case. To build that family business and build it on the shoulders of my grandparents means that, you know, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants, aren't I? And what could I do that's more? And legacy is all about understanding what have you done to make the world a better place? What have you done that your family can remember? What have you done that is a great story? Uh, and I think all those things now, I think, are really, really important in business because they are the businesses that are going to be here when all those businesses have been sold. So and it starts off from more of, you know, you know I want to make an impact um, it, sometimes and sometimes, you know, at the same time, want to earn an income for my family. By the time it gets to two or three generations down, they start measuring the success with money. And that, that, that impact and that, that mission kind of takes a backseat. I remember reading Charlie Mullins' book from Pimlico Plumbers, and he's, you know, I don't know if you know him, but he's a very, very, very successful plumbing business. Uh, he's an OBE, started at a young age of 10, just assisting his dad, and then became a plumber. When, and he's dispelled the myth of the hairy-ass plumber. I love him. <laughs> and when, and when I, one of the things he said in his book was, and what has money brought me? And he said, it's brought me influence. Because now I'm the ordinary bloke in the high street and I have enough money to get me through those doors where I can influence the way other people think. And actually, that's, that's really great. If you, think, if you remember Anita Roddick from The Body Shop. Yeah. Okay. So there was a woman, my heroine. I just thought, what an amazing woman she is. And she was the first to generate that concept of trade, not aid. Yes? Right. Right. And, um, and I think that, you know, again, it, her legacy will go on and on and on. And I think, I don't think the business is in family ownership anymore. I can't be sure of that. But, um, but certainly her wealth, you know, when she became a PLC in her book, she says, we sat down together and said, right, we are mega rich. What are we going to do with this? money and actually they thought about right we're going to change the world you know we're going to change the world and they did and they were the very first you know so I think when you've been successful and you have money you have a responsibility and I always say to rich families you have a responsibility to give it away you know shrouds have got no pockets give it away and give it away to a cause that you believe in remember what it was like for you is there something in your history where you think 
do you know what? I got a leg up or this happened to me. And if I'd have known so-and-so, if I had access to what's it, you know, or I might still be an entrepreneur still. I think I'd like to give those kids that don't make it to school, that suffer from ADHD, have failed every exam. But you know what? They've got some nails. I remember I was asked to give a, a workshop to a, a charity that um, supports gangs of young people. These gangs are earning two grand a day. They're going to be pretty smart, you know. But they were trying to get them to use their smart thinking in a, a legal way. So... <laughs> So they came to my studio and they all had businesses they'd be thinking about. And I was trying to tap into the way they were thinking about how do we make, how do we turn a buck? How do we make money? Because actually what they needed was purpose because there is no purpose behind drugs. There is no purpose apart from money. But belonging is another, of course, gangs, are, I don't want to oversimplify it, but of course, you know, gangs is all about belonging, usually because you don't have any money. Usually you want to belong to you know, one gang or other. And if you're not in one gang, then you might well be killed by another I don't know I'm not I'm no psychologist but it was very very interesting to see their minds ticking away at a business that was, was exciting thinking about how they make money how could they make loads of money but what they didn't understand was that business means building relationships built on trust you cannot um, do a bad deal because your reputation's on the floor you cannot not work hard for it when everyone is out having a good time on a Friday night, you will be in your business uh, sorting out um, a problem or keeping another customer happy whose timeline happens to be 12 o'clock in your house is going to be, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning in another country. Do you see what I mean? It's sort of, and also the fact that family business in particular, and, and, and it's all about sort of reacting to the market. And one of the great things about family business is they choose is they can be very, very agile and act quickly and make decisions quickly. If you try and get a decision from a corporate, you know what that's like. Right, that's a great idea. I'll be back in a week. Oh, that's great. That's just gone up to the next level. Uh, that's got to go to the board. Uh, 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 uh. If you're in a family business, you just say, right, I've got this great idea. Here's the business plan. It's going to make money. It's going to do this. It's going to help our brand. Um, I'd like to head it up. What do you think? And nine, nine out of ten times, the owner of that business will say, okay, we'll give it a go. Different entrepreneurs through and through well, what's your what's your take on you know especially now now i help people that want to transition out of that corporate you know rat race and want to start something of their own start a business or you know become a highly paid consultant and eventually build build a business what what's your take on people that want to start a business and and are looking for looking for help and then primarily start up with their friends or their family now, now it's, it's obviously an easy way out and they might start off with all enthusiasm and everything, but a little bit time in, I've had this personal experience as well. You see those family members going, yeah, you know, why it's Friday evening, forget about work, I want to go out. They start getting into that because that's not their vision, it's your vision. And then in, in your view, what do you do? How do you make sure that the person you're picking in your family, your friends, is the kind of person... What should what kind of skills, personality? What should they have? What are you look? What should you be looking for? At the same time, you don't have the luxury of, you know, hiring people or you know outsourcing it. Okay, so there's a lot said around nepotism in a family business. Yeah, and um, I think we spoke before. There are four reasons why you would join a family business. One is that you are passionate about it. You came in at the weekend. You loved it. You you just thought one day I'm going to be in that family business. The second is because your name is above the door. So there's an element of pride there. You know, if I don't continue this business, 
then that name won't be above the door anymore. The third is that actually that family business brings in the money for the family. If I don't continue that somehow, we are not going to be as successful financially as we could be. So the wealth will be diminished. And the fourth reason is because I can't get a job anywhere else. Now, you've got to understand within your own family, what, why are they joining you? And you have to be honest. And sometimes it's temporary. Sometimes it's a come and join, see how I get on. If you like it, you can stay. But at the same time, you are manager and your people are watching. Are they any good? Do they work hard? Because what? Because at the end of the day, success doesn't come without hard work. And I think that a lot of family businesses, if they started it, it's all about hard work. So coming out of a corporate, and I don't want to be misconstrued, come out of a corporate, when you're in a corporate, there are places you can go and you can hide. Your incompetences are usually called um, promotion or a sideways promotion. If they want to get rid of it, they go, we're just moving into a different division or I know we're going to promote you. Do you know that there's a way of doing it, isn't there? You can't get away with that in a family business. You're either any good at it or you're not. And then you have to have the heart to be able to say, look, I love you to bits, but you're not right. But let's see what you are great at and let's see what we can do about that. Okay. So when you are making a transition from from a big corporate to a consultant, first of all, you just have to have it banged into your head. There is no such thing as nine to five. It doesn't exist. This does not exist. It's called 24-7. And unless you want to do that, then don't bother. Nobody that ever set up a business did not work 24-7. End of. Full stop. So you've got to decide whether or not you have the energy, the passion, the vision, the mental strength to do that. And anyone that's ever run a business will say, I have lost my business. I've been knocked down. I've had to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I've never given up. Lord Billamora of Cobra Beer gave um, a very fine presentation at my conference last year. He lost his business three times, three times. And he said, a mere mortal would have just said, you know what, I give up. But he didn't. What's the problem? How am I going to get out of it? What have I got to do to do that? Okay, three times. And now he is a global brand. Um, He is a shareholder of his own brand and recognize the fact that they need a bigger hitter to get them globally to be able to distribute globally, but that's his business. He worked it. He sorted it out. It is a truly respected brand. You couldn't go into a, 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 an honest-to-goodness curry house without having a Cobra beer, you know, and that doesn't happen overnight. So why are you doing it? And also question those that you employ, why are they doing it? Do you have a specific interview process when you, when you hire people? Yeah, and I learned that from Hannah Khan. Have you heard of James Kahn? MB? I have, yes, yeah. So Hannah gave a masterclass at a network that I was a chairman of. And, and I hope that um, James Kahn doesn't mind me telling you this. But she said, we have a process. And the process is, if someone applies for a job, they will have sent the CV in. The first stop is a telephone call. Now then, that telephone call will never get any better. And of course, most of us say, oh, they might be nervous or it was a bit brave of them or it never gets any better. Okay, that's the phone call, first of all. And if they aren't any good on the phone, they're going to be rubbish in my business because at the end of the day, we want them to be doing the interacting with customers and building the relationships because it's all about relationships. So that's the first bit. Get over the telephone conversation. The next is I meet them because then I'm the one that has the values of my father. I know what they are. And I need to ask them, what are your values? What do you value in life? Right? Now, if that matches, tick, 
The next next thing is that they go and meet the head of that department or whoever it is, whatever that business is, the lead of that business, because then that's really about honing in on their excellence, expertise, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then James Khan would offer them the job if they got through those hoops. And she said, it's very interesting, it never works in any other order because we tried it. <laughs> right, okay. Telephone first, yeah? Well, CV first, telephone call, meeting, matching values and purpose, then meeting the person that wants to hire and then the person that signs the checks. So in my business, that happens here. So if, I don't, if I'm looking for somebody, the CVs come in, then Amalia or Sue will interview them on the phone. Okay. Then they will come in for a face-to-face meeting with Amalia. She's my daughter. She's the MD. And then she will understand what their values are. What do they want? Do they match our values? You know, and our values are great for women because we're all about flexibility, trust, hard work. We've all got children. We are a business where every single one of us works four days a week. We've all got kids. Okay. So everyone in my family business has a day off to look after my grandson. My daughter, who's 25, who's head of design, has a day off a week to look after her nephew. So I've actually said to her, do you realize you get 70 days days a week off? During the year, you get 52 days off because you're looking after your nephew. And then you get 20 days holiday. And then you get eight days public holiday. I think... You're probably in the holiday more than you are working, you know, laughing aside, and it works for us. I don't clock them in, I don't whatever. We have meet, we have meetings at the beginning of the week, we know what we've got to do, we've got our goals, we have internal profit and loss centers. We're a tiny business, you know, and I've been told to go away, my own business, and to do your thing, we can get on with it. And I think you've just got to build that up, but they all work extremely hard. And I know they haven't switched off at five o'clock. I know. If they go shopping and they see a great shop, they'll say, this must be a family business. Who are they? I'll take a picture of their logo, you know. Or they'll scan the newspaper. Oh, bloody hell. In the business section, so-and-so and so-and-so must take that in. Or if we've heard that someone's, you know, in our family business, that we, you know, we've heard that someone's parent has died, we're the first to say, we are sorry to hear that, you know. Or if something awful, someone's been ill. But that's our ethos. So those people that come and work with us need to have that empathy. They have to be brilliant, that's for sure, um, because they're standards that I've set. And they have to believe in what we're doing, for sure, because we're a bit loopy, because most people said when I first started it, family business place, why are you doing that? Sounds a bit naff to me, you know. Family business? Is there money in there, is there? And here we are 10 years later, and I'm very proud of what we've achieved, and we have another, you know, we have more, so much more to do. But if you're going to make that transition from consultant to entrepreneur, no one is going to do it for you. So forget it. If you were in a corporate, you probably had a team. You probably had um, an expert. You could probably whatever. But um, in a family business, there's no one but you. No one but you. So you have to make sure the people you hire get that. And they're in it for the ride. Because it's this, it's this thing, isn't it? If you follow your dreams, the money will follow it. If you follow your dreams, the money will come after, won't it? You know, if you're chasing the buck, then it'll only ever end in tears, won't it? Which is true, really. You know. In your opinion, do you do you feel women make better leaders than men do? I think the combination is good. I think that a lot of women are not as focused primarily on that profit center because they're, fit, they're, they're, they're focused on many other things. They, they, they're more holistic in the way that they build their businesses. 
men are usually very focused and their emotional intelligence is sort of limited to, you know, to process. And it all adds up. And at the end of the day, I feel happy if I've made, you know, and, and also for a bloke, their business is their shed. Right. You know what I mean? Yes. Their yeah. shed, their man cave. Women is different. We like to network. We like to meet interesting people. We're up for it. Um, we, we're spontaneous. You know, I don't know. I don't know many guys that would say, yeah, if you ask them tonight, they'd say, well, let me see my diary. Well, let me ask my wife. Or, um, oh, I don't know. It's a bit short notice. You know, I find that women are much more spontaneous. And also, a woman will find a way to overcome that problem because they have to. If they've got children, if something goes wrong, they have to find a way to sort their kid out. And I think in business, you find a way to make it work. And I think they're very good at that. With a man, don't come to me unless you've got a solution. I don't want problems. I just want solutions. Or they're much more autocratic and women are much more, um, how can I say, they're much more um, consensual. Right. I think we are that by nature. But in the past, women have been terrible role models for other women. They've made it hard for women for somehow. I mean, I remember in the 80s, dress like a man, big shoulder pads like a man, work faster than a man, harder, quicker, be prettier, you know, to even just keep up. And those days are gone now. We don't need to do that anymore. We don't need to do that anymore. But men, I think, that are great leaders are those that recognise talent, that will let people have a go, that will encourage smart thinking, that will have an appetite for risk because it's an innovation they've never been party to, um, that like to see the joy in someone's face that's been successful, that are open to doing it a different way, that take joy in other people's success. Those are the great leaders. Taking joy in other people's success, not just your own. This will, this will be a good note to um, end on. What, what's been your biggest lesson in your time so far? Humility. Humility. When I lost my business, I can't tell you how many people phoned me and said, I'm only a day away. And I had to ring every single one of my people I've managed to. And every single one of them said, you know, I've been working with you 15, 25 years. What do you need? A friend of mine offered me a desk space. He said, I've got a, I've got a room as big as this conference room. You can have it for a year. Someone offered to pay my congestion charge. Someone gave me a car. Someone rang me every day. Someone gave me money. And from a ball breaker woman in business from the 80s, I turned into this other person. And what I learned was humility and gratitude. I like to think I serve others. Um, I like to think I encourage others. Um, I'm an entrepreneur through and through. If I see someone that's got a great, uh, a great idea, how can I help them be successful? What can I do? And, you know, that's the biggest lesson that I've, I, the, the biggest lesson I've learned is humility. Um, but for me, kindness and love, humility, courage, because what's the worst that can happen to you? Someone just says no. You know, and if you are open to good stuff, it comes to you attract it. Absolutely. If you are a positive person, you attract positivity. If you're a negative person, I don't know if you know, I mean, people I know that their cup is always half empty. It's like, what a drag. And what I don't need in this day and age is pe- be with people that have got a cup half full, uh, half empty. So I might have entertained them years ago because there might have been something in it for me. I don't bother at all. As long as I can smile every morning, as long as I'm doing a deal, I'm helping a family, setting up a young person, speaking at an event, evangelizing about the power 
and gift of family business, then for me, that's my purpose, really. Brilliant. Well said. Couldn't have put it any better. Uh, I mean, um, <clears throat> absolutely. I, I I agree with everything you said. I mean, over, over that, I haven't been in nowhere as near as long as you have been in business. But what I've learned from looking at my father and, you know, my family members been in business is one of those things, you know, being humble, coming from a place of service. People that have done that have gone a lot further ahead. They have been knocked down a lot more, but they have gone a lot further ahead because those connections, those relationships have always come, you know, at the time of need. Whereas people that have not been, I've seen them fall. I've seen them fall high, but they have been alone. They have not been, their, their family is broken apart. I tell you, I come into work every day and I look at my two daughters. That makes me feel fabulous. They're beautiful, smart, wonderful. I see my grandson every day. When I, when I was working in corporate life, I used to leave home at six and not leave London till at least eight o'clock every night, if not after that. So I only became a weekend mum. How yeah. many men is that? That's their lives, isn't it? Yeah. Weekend family man. That's not a life, is it? No, that's being part-time parent and full-time work. That, that doesn't... But it took what happened to me to make me realise and appreciate what were, the, what were the important things in life. And I think until that's taken away from you, it's quite hard to um, remember that. And that's why each generation needs to be reminded if they're going to take the family business on, why are we doing this? What was it that gave our grandparents or our parents the balls to sort this out? Why am I living in this nice house? Why have I got this great career in this fantastic business? Why, why is it that I can have a cup of tea with my dad? Or I can, you know, when I get pissed off or I haven't seen anyone for a whole week, I say, right, let's tell the computer, we're going to the pub for a drink. I can do that without them thinking, oh, my God, I haven't done my hours. And uh, 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 look, we've worked bloody hard. You know, let's do that. It gives you freedom. But there is a cost, and that cost is hard work. And you can never get away from it. Because if you're not doing it for the business, you're doing it for the community, or you're doing it for a charity, or you're doing it as a mentor, or you're doing it as a non-exec. You see what I mean? Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you. I feel privileged to be part of your new um, your new podcast. I mean, that's just that's that's lovely. Well done. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you want to turn your idea into a business and escape the corporate rat race, then check out my business accelerator program, which takes you from idea to making sales. Visit www.jazzbearaurora.com. And remember, only the brave have fun.